there is magic even here in gridlock and loneliness and too much work and late nights going on too long and shopping trolleys with broken wheels and boredom and tax returns. The same magic that made a man ride about a princess that slept until she was kissed. Long golden hair draped over a balcony and fingers pricked with needles. There's magic even here in potholes along backcountry roads and not having the right change, you pack your pockets, arriving late and missing the last train home. The same magic that caused a woman in France to think that God spoke to her. That made another sit down at the front of a bus and refused to move. That led a man to think that maybe the world wasn't flat and the moon could be walked upon by human feet. There is magic, even here, in office cubicles. Ian Thomas. Magic in Zoom calls, in pivoting, in wearing a mask, in empty streets. Magic in new restrictions, in social distancing, in more responsibility in weight loss and weight gain, magic in snatched holidays, in calculated risks, in the onset of winter and the sound of voices. And there's magic in hearing that voice <laughs> and this is the voice, well the, the voice I've just heard is Jim McNeish and the voice speaking to you as well is Kirsty Mack and we're here. We're doing it. We're actually, um, weirdly, to actually say it out loud, we're doing Series 3. Series 3 and we're here at The Smiddy. There's just been a collective, The Smiddy, <laughs> for all the people that have had the honour to be up here in Scotland that might have visited Jim. They know The Smiddy. They're Second wanting to, to know what tray bake we're having. They're, they're just asking the question. So we just get given out coffees. And, and yeah, we just thought we would do a little bit different. Um, we can actually see each other yeah. legally. We're at the table having we're coffee at the together. Table. Um, and we're six months on, McNeish. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing good, actually. I think I am two stone lighter. I can't, honestly, I've had to have a <coughs> face on people. You lose them down a drain. So um, I'm two stone lighter. I'm a lot healthier than I was. Um, and I'm doing well, the business is good, um, my spirit is intact, um, I, we've had ups and downs, there's been worries and concerns and of course just the general worry about the world um, and, and the unrest. Friends in America who are really worried that their country is melting down, um, we've seen a lot of that but I have to say my spirit's intact, I feel good and um, I'm just delighted to be here and uh, and be in the now. What about you Kirsty Mack, you look glowing. Yeah, I've got your two stone. (laughs) 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 I just took it, it's all about shading. Uh, No, I haven't, I haven't. Um, So yeah, I um, I love that, your spirit is intact. It paused a question to me, I was like, it's mine. It's like, yeah, it is, and it has been, it has been a roller coaster, you know, and there has been days when I thought, okay, I've got this, and then by 10, I, I, I don't. Um, and then, you, you know, I go in and out of, you know, you, in the bubble of, of the house, and we're, we're both working really hard. Then you go outside and you're like, oh, right, it's a, we're still in a pandemic, and we tune into the news, and, you know, even listening to Nicola the other day, I was quite teary because I, I knew that we were living with a pandemic but it was kind of just off to the side. Yes. It felt like it just came a little bit more front and centre. Um, 
it's it's a bit like that and so we, we've got together again the band's back together and uh, we've picked some topics that we're going to have a chat about yeah um, and so what's what's the concept what's the concept today so the kind of overall thing is we're going to do a bit of a roller coaster aren't we in terms yep. of shadow light shadow light shadow light shadow light and we just thought it's been a little bit of a tough three weeks let's start with the light yes and then um we'll do the shadow after that um, so we're going to talk about experience. Mm. We're going to talk about when we talk about experiential learning. When we talk about having an experience, why is it such a big deal for us? I mean, it's an everyday common word, but why is that a big deal? And it really is experience as opposed to just thinking about something. You know, it's the felt sense of something. It's the the going through a holistic, real life event. It's the inclusion of our bodies. Um, our relationships, our emotions in the activity. Um, it's an, an, an experience when we've lived it. And I think the best way of kind of describing the idea, the concept is, is to put it into juxtaposition of what it's not. So Martin Heidegger, a great existentialist, um, drew this kind of distinction between illusory and actual reality. And the idea of, you know, there's the real thing out there and then we make it mean something. You know, so, and, and what we eventually make it mean is the difference between a landscape and an actual map. You know, that's how deteriorated, that's how diminished our meaning making, our language makes any event. But if we can stay much more with the, the, um, the experience itself, it's far richer. And you know that. And it's huge in L&D, isn't it? That whole notion of experience. You know, experiential mm. learning. That means of, you know, creating sustainable learning, getting feeling, getting all the emotions as part of it. You know, we will both quote many times Maya Angelou. Um, just let's take a Maya moment. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They will always remember how you made them feel. How you made them feel. You know, and, and so it is about creating, we can create sustainable learning through that um, when we make meaning of it, when we experience it, when we get in our bodies, when we feel it in our bones. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's models and there's cognitive information, but if you get it and you sense it and you experience it, then it just, it sticks, doesn't it? It does. And I think, you know, you and I have both got a background in NLP, uh, yep. Kirsty, which is kind of somewhat tarnished and kind of almost dismissed these days because it, it became such a mongrel of a, a psychology but it's original intention and I remember John Grinder spoke about this very recently which is it's, a, it's original intention was to mirror and model the experience of excellent practitioners in the field and that's what NLP was really excellent at was getting somebody who was just brilliant at something and saying well how do you do it and how do you feel when it's happening and what do you see in your mind going on that, but what happened is we learned those models and we turned them into something we made we, we made those models a model a theory and then we started to teach the theory and became detached from that experiential learning that NLP was always meant to be about. And, and that was when it was strong. I think that was when it was great. No, you're so right. I'm even just seeing, like, feeling that myself when it did become, it became so it was transactional because we created those models and those theories, and, which were incredible. And it's weird, we forgot the original. You're so right. 
yeah, I just feel that. And I think um, it's even our good friend, well, I like to think he is, Richard Rohr, um, when you haven't lived something you're teaching, you have to lean on someone else's authority. When you've experienced, you stand on your own authority. It's huge. You speak from the heart. You speak from your hut, you know, your heart and your guts. And it's a different... And people sense it. Aye. You know, we know when we've been on the other side of someone that's like that has a sense of authority. Oh, yeah. Like, you get it. You, and you, you... It calls something up in you. It's... I see that. It's that idea of... Um, most of us are actually thinking our way through our lives rather than living them. Oh my goodness, yeah. And, and so therefore, we, when we watch a practitioner who is thinking their way through something, I think there's nothing worse than listening to rehearsed vulnerability. Oh. You know, like somebody's got a story up their sleeve that they're going to pull out at just the right moment and you kind of know. And so that idea of thinking your way through it, the, the, the cognition of it versus... Is it in your muscle? Are you re-experiencing it? I've no problem somebody telling me an old story that affected them. As long as they're back in the story, as long as they're taking me back through an experience, rather than they've got it refined and they've got it down. Aye, aye. That makes all the difference. And you know what? I think this has done that. So when we say 2020 has done that, I personally feel feel um, that we kind of we went from the cognitive <laughs> to the heart yes I think we dropped down especially at the start yes I don't know I, it feels like there's a lot more of the cognitive coming back in and that for me personally is where my dissonance and my tension is coming in I, I agree I think you know at the beginning there was almost permission for us to be vulnerable, wasn't there? Oh my God, yes. It was, it was, here we are, we're all in this together and we're all feeling it, so therefore I have extra permission to express it. But then what happens is, is then it gets um, turned into models, it gets turned into monetizing, uh, marketing approaches, it gets turned into something else a commodity and at that moment we're no longer in the experience of it we are selling maps to people um, and that's kind of where it lost some of its you know maybe some of what was hopeful and magical yeah and magical and we yeah we it, it's become so now it has a label the new normal you know, it, it is, let's, so let's call it the new normal. So it, that's a cognitive Hi. meaning. And, and I'm going, I don't, know, I don't think there's anything normal about anything that's happening. There's a lot of new stuff, right? But Let's not call it normal. Let, it's no. No, it's not. And I'm not even sure I want to return back to that normal. Yeah, I'm with you. I want to stay in the experience because I think if we look at the makeup of, of, of experiential learning, experiential living, um, Ron Kurtz says this, he says, you're doing therapy whenever you turn someone's attention back to their experience. Um, this is what we do, Kirsty, this is what we do when we're coaching people and when we're working with our leaders, is it's not about giving somebody a map or an old story to describe their experience. It's knowing what the dimensions of the experience are to explore with them. I think that's the distinction. It's like when somebody says, hi, I'm feeling heavy inside, 
and we say, how heavy? And where do you feel that about physically? And what's really going on with it? In that moment, we've got distinctions for helping them to get much more associated with their real experience so that if it's negative, it can get experienced out. And if it's positive, it can be gleaned for wisdom and phenomenal learning. And I think um, submodalities, as it was described in, in, in the NLP world, was the way of describing these experiences. Um, distinctions about how much area gets covered by the experience. Like if you've got a, 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 even a sore head, you know, how much area does it cover? Is it hot or is it a cold sore head? Is it moving or is it a dense, muggy thing or is it quite airy? Um, is it intense? You know, where in your head do you feel the pain? All of those things actually help you to experience things out by bringing you deeper into the experience. I think that's one of the key components of experience. Yeah, because you could say what caused that sore head. You know, you could go like, boom, let me take you back to the, your, your, your head. Aye. Yeah, and it's actually, well, no, what, well, how big is it? How expansive is it? How dark is it? Is it close Very to the surface? And, and it's like, so it is having that, that gives us access, so much access, and, and, and helping people understand what is it making you feel? What is going on with and working with that? And it's it's working the deep structure rather than sort of that transactional surface structure. Because sometimes people will try and help you out by saying it's like a big clanging bell in my head or it's butterflies that are flying around in my stomach. You're like, no, that's still metaphor. That's still cognition. I want to know the dimensions of your actual experience the real thing because that's the idea that the truth believed becomes a lie the truth experienced remains the truth when you're working with somebody's direct experience you're dealing with the actual truth the minute they start turning it into concepts and words you're dealing with a dualized um, cognitive um, constructed limited lexicon of words and you get a little bit of the person and you're no longer in the experience with them Oh, I'm, do you know what? I was feeling, I was just there. I'm in the experience right now. I felt that. Art, you know, we're sitting in this mini and we're, we're looking around. You know, there's, there's art in the tree bakes, but there's also art in the walls. Yeah. Art is an experience. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got one of my, um, one of my cousins is an incredible artist. And I am... Um, I just sit and watch it. I, you know, it doesn't move anywhere, it's on the wall. But I just, I experience it. And I'm like, Billy, look, look, it's a different color today. And he's like, this is brilliant, here we mm. go again. But I'm like, I'm, ex- I'm in it, I'm experiencing it. Sometimes I don't have language for it. And I think if I chose to have language for it, it's going back to what you said, it's like, boom, I'm out of it. Take you right out of it. I'm in it. The, um the portrait artist of the year show is back on again. I love that. Yeah, I have no life, um, but I, I love it. And I was watching it last night, and they had um, Princess Margaret's old um, lady in waiting on it, and she took a fancy to one of the artists. You could tell. And so the other two were like like the sideshow, and the guy who was in the middle, and he was chatting her up as well, like he was working it. And so this kind of eight-year-old woman had taken a fancy to this young artist, and it was his that she chose at the end. Now, I'm not an artist, but to my mind, the other two were amazing pieces of art, and his was a little... A little bit not. No, I didn't, I just, I couldn't see it. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know why she chose that. It's not the strongest. 
But I do know why she chose it, in that she had an experience of that piece of art, which was also connected to her relationship with the artist. It was multifaceted. It took her back to a younger time, and she saw her conversation with this guy in the painting. And so, of course, it was the best art to her because it wasn't trapped in some agreement or some concept. It was trapped in... It was contained in an, a relationship that she'd formed. And I think relationships are experiences. We, you don't think your way through a relationship. You experience no. your way through it. You know, it's ups and downs. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. And the relationship with the shadow. And, the, you, know, shadow. you know, bringing in the shadow. Because we like to, um, you know, the shame and the hidden side, bring, bringing it into the light. No mining for that gold that's one of the practices I've been doing is because you know this has been a this is shadow central Aye. you know it, it really is it's like and so I've experienced that a lot more and, and using little rituals to, to to mine for it to find the gold within it absolutely well, healing and injury those are both experiences as well and shadow the catharsis of shadow coming into light there's a healing there and, um, and it comes back to the emotions again because Robert Diltz described healing as the eradication of fear from any situation. And, um, and so therefore we experience that. We experience the healing going on. Um, and so I think there's all these different things that you can you know, add up to being experiential. Um, what I love it though is when you see it. You see somebody who really wakes up um, you know in training programs I've I used to do some wacko stuff yes. and <laughs> confirmation from the side <laughs> and really put people through you know a lot of people said oh you can't ask executives to do that I was like you can ask Absolutely. you know they all did it um, but I've watched people do things like the dancing score and and come alive, like moving their bodies through a healing process and suddenly you just notice that their entire life has been spent up in their head and they've realised they've got intelligence in their body and you just watch them come alive with it. I think that's amazing. It's just, there's something just delightful when you see their eyes pop out or they're just, you know, it's um, even that colour shift or there, there's, one, there's one person that I coach actually, I'm working with them tomorrow. And I always know, I always know when he's in his body, his glasses come off. Right. He just goes. <laughs> and it's just like, this is a very visual thing just now, but he takes off his glasses and you can see him and you, you can feel the relaxation in the body occurring. It's incredible to watch, you know, because he holds himself. Yes. But then you see it and he's just like, oh. It's that release, and it might be a release of fear, as you say. It's just that the release, or indeed the relief of not having to hold it anymore. Absolutely. And, and but intuitively, you see people going the opposite way. Like, so many people, I think, have tried to cognitively detach from this last six months because it's been so horrific for them. You know, and, and I understand that. I absolutely understand that. Um, I've got a friend in hospital at the moment, um, uh, recovering well from cancer. And uh, it's terrific to watch. Um, and there's just no trace of cancer anymore in his body. And so it's just been amazing. 
Um, but he was disappointed because there's a little bit of problem with the digestion and so he was taken back in again. But I remember encouraging him to say, don't wish this time in hospital away. Be in it, be in your body, be present to it, be present to the wonderful human beings that are around you. Um, be in that space and, um, and, and it's life. You could be there for maybe a couple of weeks it's a couple of weeks of living where there could be incredible experiences. You know, cognitively we know that you would rather be home and that you'd rather be on the, the run to, to healing. But actually experientially your body can experience pleasure and healing and growth and peace during this time. See if you can be there. And that's been a great conversation for us. Wow. So I like I keep get that this is this is an experience as part of the conversation, never mind anything else. I suppose that you know when when we were doing coaching, when we were doing training, we yeah. kinda you know, we ease we ease into it. It's just like, you know, we because you know, some people are very much in their minds and you know, they need to know the procedure and what's gonna be happening. Um, because we, our cognitive vigilance is to stand down before we interact and get into that experience element. Yeah, and, and because people have had painful experiences before, yeah. they don't want to just make themselves wide open to it, do they? Yeah. It's like if you've struggled, or if you've been on a training programme where you were with some trainer who just dragged you through all of their kind of favourite oh, hits of the last kind of 20 years of exercises and... Yeah, like here's a big stick, why don't you go and whack the hell out of a beanbag or something like that? It's like, I'll tell you why I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll tell you twice. Like, or tell me something deeply personal about yourself. Uh, I'm a very private person. <laughs> That's what I choose. You know, so, um, you know, it's like I'm not going to just run into that stuff. You've got to... You've got to have trust. You've got to have trust and you've got to have vulnerably and experientially walked the road yourself. 100%. Yeah. 100%. You've got to walk the landscape and then you can invite people to confidently do it. And, and I will, I mean, really now, even with new clients, I'll usually frame it by saying, look, do you fancy a little experiment right now? If I see them saying something like, I'm really stuck inside or I can't make sense of this, I'll say, well, can we do a wee experiment? And, and if trust's high, they'll go, yeah. And then I'll say, so where do you feel it? Just here. Is it warm or is it cold? It's cold. Um, are you, is it moving or still? And, and before you know it, they've got caught up and they're starting to absolutely describe their experience to you without even questions. But more importantly, they're describing how their experience is changing. And that then changes how they think about it. And it's living it. And as you say, you know, we, many of us are thinking our way through life and that's, we're not living it. You're talking about your friend. They're actually living that process. And so to actually get back into our bodies, to be sensitive to those sensations, to work with the somatic intelligence that, sweeping generalisation maybe, that we've cut ourselves off from. Yeah. We've cut ourselves off from this intelligence that exists in our veins and our cells and all of those things. Yeah. Um, and so if we can do that, if it's about, if we can unblock ourselves from that, it's curious, it's fascinating, and, and actually it's quick. That's the thing. So, as I say, you and I are both fairly 
kind of uh, adventures bungee jumpers with this stuff and have introduced lots of it. I mean, I think some of the highlights for me has just been watching the speed by which people process. I mean, the one of the models I would use would be the chair model for conflict. And you watch people thinking, ugh, you know, I'm going to have to sit on this chair and be me in the conflict. I'm going to have to sit on the second chair and be the other person in the conflict or the idiot in the conflict <laughs> is how they see it. And then I take a middle chair and I rationalise. And, and they do it. And again and again, you see them afterwards and they say, do you know what? Actually, I didn't mind the exercise on retrospect, but what was funny was next time I met that person, they were as nice as could be. It's weird that There's nothing wrong with them. Oh, bless that person. They've changed. <laughs> exactly, they changed. That's good of them. Um, yeah. Just those, those exercises, just... And I've seen people... Um, I've seen amazing things, so I'm even reticent to mention this in people in case people start to switch off or clutch their beads. But... Um, I want to hear it instantly. But I remember being in the snug with three executives on one of my training programs and we um, were doing submodalities work and he talked about how he was scared to use his legs in the same way because he'd really snapped his knee when playing football um, and it had been a really bad break. So I said to him, okay, well, let's see if submodalities can work on that. And so we did. And... Um, I said, can you feel it in your knee? And he was like, yeah, I can remember it. I said, can you feel what you're resisting? Yeah, I can. As a warmer, as a cold. And as you can ask the questions, they relax into the experience. His knee it swelled up in front of us. One of the women screamed a wee bit. I think I did too. And, it was like, and we watched it swell. And then we watched it go back down as he reconnected with the sensation. And even more important than that was a guy who came down to dinner that night who sat next to us at the end of the table. And I said, um, are you looking forward to your dinner? And he said, actually, I've got a wee bit of a funny stomach. And, and we'd been doing submodalities. And I said, um, where? And he said, just at the top of my stomach. I said, warmer, cooler, and warmer. <laughs> is it moving, or is it still? And I could have talked to him, and it kind of started to, all the movement, and then he farted with the most incredible ferocity at the table, the whole place. Like, this was quite an esteemed group. But, uh, but I'll tell you what, it helped his stomach. You know, it certainly moved things on. But, but it's like, it's amazing how, how these things actually work physically like what's the application here for <laughs> medicine or you know there's well, for flatulence in and of itself <laughs> exactly <laughs> I guess there's environmental issues to consider there is. around I mean, methane it's all a yeah. balance isn't it it's all and <laughs> I love I thought you were smoking something I'm not going to lie when I first did constellations constellations yeah Holy crap and a cracker. Like, I was blown away by the conversations that happened, by the revelations, by the sensations I felt going through the whole process. And and I think people are just like, oh, well, it sounds a little bit weird and mumbo-jumbo. And, and it 100% is. And also, I've sat in a meeting with, so there must have been 15... 15 people were doing kind of sort of group coaching type situation. One person was talking about a situation they were having in their business. And I said, you know, would you mind if we did something 
And he, he went for the constellations. Yeah, just, and he went, yeah. Go Kirsty. And so we did the constellations and so there was a couple of people, you could just see them, ra- question marks rising above their heads. But everyone was so in it and he just sat back at the end of it and he went, I don't understand. Like, you, Kirsty, you spoke like so-and-so. You said this. And then when you moved there, he's like, I have no idea what just happened. But I fundamentally know exactly what I need to do. Yes. I've just... He's, he says, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know exactly what I need to do. He says, and I don't even know how to describe it. He says, but that was outrageous. And everyone, it was so beautiful to see, because everyone just, I loved that they separated their cognitive self and was just like, let's go for it. Absolutely. If anybody's out there that doesn't know what constellations are, a quick minute on it is, you basically have inside of you a dynamic of the relationships round about you. You have an, an idea of how it works like a web and you've got these nodes which are human beings at different parts of it. And rather than it being inside of you, what you do is you t- bring it outside of you and you appoint people in your group to represent those people. It's a bit like object relations in reverse. You're taking the stuff outside of you and you're putting it onto individuals. But the miraculous thing that happens is when you are somebody else's node, when you are somebody else's person that's inside them and you're representing them, you only get given three or four bits of information. But it doesn't take more than a minute before you start behaving and acting like that within the system and knowing how it works. And the insights are just spectacular. Um, Bert Hellinger saw it with the Zulus when he was studying them and basically they were so in their bodies that they could tap into incredible wisdom tap into incredible things that what's happening to us as a system and what's happening to us as a group and those experiences are phenomenal and and again, you wouldn't be doing that on day one as an icebreaker for an executive development programme that comes at the very end when trust is high but if you commit to an experiential event, it's amazing just the learning that your body brings you and it is that wisdom that word wisdom is for, for me now I'm listening more to my body because out there there's not much wisdom and um, (laughs) you know there's but there's wisdom in my body to know okay what am I really feeling what is the sense that I'm getting of this and reconnecting back in with myself I know that a lot of the time we were speaking previously was about you know used to travel a lot now you know it's quite shocking I've been in the same bed with the same person for over like like hundreds of days now which sounds wrong but um, (laughs) I'm in that same space but I am sensing more about and and tapping into the wisdom of my body yes so much more because i think being more grounded and being in that one space and knowing that you know we can all google something and get some sort of crystallized intelligence but actually we have innate wisdom yes in our bones in ourselves tuning i think i'm experiencing something very similar i've I've experienced a, a strengthening of my faith in the last six months and I think increasingly it's because um, just getting really clear that I think at the end of the day nobody's going to be judging me on my theology and how accurate it is. It really is what did I do with my faith? How did I employ it? How did I stretch myself? How did I trust? I think you need a bit of theology, you need a bit of containment for things, but now I see that it's probably been overemphasized in the past and what I'm really trusting now is 
what is my felt knowledge of God? What is my felt knowledge of um, my Christian fundamentals? How much of it am I living? How much of it is really in the muscle? Because that's the stuff I can rely on when the lights go out. That's the stuff when the tough information comes and when there's another setback or another lockdown, I can go there and there are no words that I can hear or concepts from the television that can in any way overpower it. That peace that passes understanding that now sits in that deeper place inside of me. That's the place to go. That sounds like a really good place to go and we all, every single sentient being, we all have access to that. We forgot about it. I think we dived into it right at the start, as you said. Let's not forget it. Let's tune in. And every day, the world will drag you by the hand, yelling, this is important, this is important, and this is important, and this is important. You need to worry about this and this and this. And each day, it's up to you to yank your hand back put it on your heart and say, no, this is what's important. Ian Thomas.